Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today. I'm so excited to get to spend another episode of the show, more time here together on the radio with you. Uh, There is really a few guilty pleasures that I have in life, but the interviews that I get to do and getting to be able to spend time with you here is by far one of the greatest. And I'm just so grateful for the time that you give, the commitment to yourself that you make to be able to thrive in your life, in your business. I herald you. I applaud you. I admire you for focusing and improving you. You know, bad things happen. I wish it wasn't true. I wish that, you know, just everything was sunshine and roses for every single one of you every single day and that nothing bad ever happened. But bad stuff happens. We have bad events in our life. Bad news comes in. Uh, Sometimes we make mistakes. Um, You know, there is both the internal and the external part of, of, you know, of bad stuff. Um, I know that's not the most grammatically, intellectually deep phrase I could use, but bad stuff really is just what we're going to talk about. And then what do we do with bad stuff? Um, You know, and there's kind of two ends to that, like I was saying. You have the internal and you have the external. You have, in other words, all the stuff that we did, all of the things that we, I'll use this very loosely, quote unquote, have control over, you know, because we've talked about this before and how much of an illusion control is, but the things that we can do something and make a difference about it, we're going to lump that giant category of stuff into that one bucket of uh, internal. And then there is the external. There are things that are outside of our control completely. There are the things that happen to us. There are the things, whether it be, uh, you know, personal events. Um, Unfortunately, uh, you know, and those of you that have been listening to the show for the last almost seven years, next week, going to be our anniversary. Um, You know, for those of you that have been listening to the show that long, you know that there are times when, um, you know, for or even at no fault of the person, there have been some horrendous situations they've gone through. And, you know, going back through just some of the books that I can think of working with people and, you know, the little girl who her and her younger siblings, when she was five, you know, they were, uh, you know, a week living in war-torn Colombia. And, uh, you know, all the five of them had to eat was one cane of sugar for the entire week, uh, you know, their mom left and never came back. And, uh, you know, really awful things like that. And um, some incredibly horrible, abusive situations that people have come through, even in some cases are going through. Um, You know, those are external kind of things. Uh, Our parents, and some of us are blessed. We have amazingly wonderful parents Uh, They may be flawed individuals, but they are incredibly wonderful, loving, and they always had, as best as they could, our best at heart. And then there are people who... It would be really pressing to say, uh, you know, to put them in that same category. How was that for trying to be, uh, you know, nice, gentle, and understanding of people who are less than. Um, It's really cool with a lot of my authors, you know, that have been through extremely abusive home situations. uh, You know, they've come out to the other side where they're like, what I know now about my mom, about my dad, about my family, about where I came from, 
was that they were operating at the best that they knew how coming out of what they did. And often that's true, you know. Um, my grandfather, I think of him, you know, I mean, the, the first in the, you know, three, third generation, you know, the first generation of ministers in, in my line. And, and I think of the fact that, you know, he was raised in a very traditional German family, uh, Catholic. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, alcohol is given to babies, like in their bottle, beer is given, it's just normal, you know, I mean, it is to a German household, you know, especially a, a generation or two removed from Germany, it's just a normal kind of thing, um, and he grew up an alcoholic, in fact, even though he had stopped drinking at around 25, when he died in his mid-80s, uh, the doctor said that it was most likely based on the tests they didn't do a full autopsy but they did some you know medical stuff and um you know they said that he probably actually died of cirrhosis of the liver um you know from how much alcoholic consumption there was in the first 25 years of his life um you know so there are some things like that that uh, are abuses i mean obviously it was the ultimate demise after 60 really great years of, of not drinking uh, it was the ultimate end of that, but it came from something that was just so part of the society that he came out of that it wasn't ill-intended. Um, now, there are some people, uh, you know, I was even saying this to a friend of mine the other day, it's like, no, some people are just evil, you know, on purpose. They want to do bad things in the world on purpose. And unfortunately, some of us have been victims of those people. Um, and sometimes there's a psychology issue and sometimes there's just some spiritual kind of things. I don't want to get into that, but the real question is, what do we then do with this bad stuff? What do you do with the bad stuff in your life? The things where we've blown it. I mean, all of us can think of times in our own life where we've just missed the mark. We just blown it. You know, you look back at a situation in your past and you're like, oh my gosh, I wish there was a reset button. I wish I could pull those words back. I could, uh, you know, take back that thing, that word, that phrase, that action, you know, whatever, because, oh, wow, did I blow it? Did I miss, did I miss the mark on that one so, so much? Um, and it can be really tough to have that because we want to move forward and sometimes we don't. Um, and we really need a strategy for looking at the things in our past that we've done and learning how to forgive ourselves and move forward. Um, same may be true with our company. You know, sometimes companies just, uh, you know, they screw up and, um, you know, stuff happens. And maybe it was totally by plan and maybe it was totally by accident, but then you have to move forward. And what are the strategies to dealing with the bad stuff? Um, and then again, going, you know, bouncing back and forth. And we've got two really great international best-selling authors that are going to help us deal with this between the internal and the external. And what do we do? And what can we control? And what kind of things can we not control? There's a great phrase. Sid Bauman was the one who taught it to me. Um, and the phrase is this, control what you can and don't worry about what you can't control. How powerful is that? I mean, really, come on. Think about how freed you would be in life if you were able to just simply let go of the things you can't control. How much of the stuff, whether it be things that were from the external and put on you, or things that were from the internal that you did, how much of that could be so much easier to deal with, so much better in our lives, if you will, if we could just simply move on, if we could have a technique for dealing with that bad stuff and then really truly moving forward so that we can maximize while it's called today. We can show up powerfully today because we've dealt with yesterday, but we've moved forward. We realize that yesterday is a canceled check tomorrow is a promissory note, and that the today truly is the only legal tender you can spend. And then we do our best to do our best 
and be our best while it's called today. I want that for each and every one of you because more than anything, I think that's what it means to live as a thriving entrepreneur. We are going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to jump in to our two amazing international best-selling authors here on Thriving Entrepreneur. Don't go away. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com, schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free, it's guaranteed, it's proven, we've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now, what are you waiting for? Grab a pen, here we go. All you gotta do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com, book a talk with Steve. It's proven, it's guaranteed, it's gonna happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. Let's jump into our great, incredible experts that are going to talk to us about how to deal with the stuff, the bad things that come into our life. Let's jump right into our very first guest. Join me in welcoming Jeff Hahn. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Dave, good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too. So you have a book. It's called Breaking Bad News, 12 Essential Crisis Communication Tools. But first, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Well, I'm a 30-plus year public relations practitioner. I spent my first 15 years as a corporate communications guy in Motorola. That's where I got most of my experience. And then in the remaining years since then, I've been the owner of an agency. The agency is called Haunt Public, and um, we're about 48 people. Home office is in Austin, Texas, but folks spread all around the country like they are now. That's awesome. Motorola, I mean, do they still exist? The brand's still alive, and you'll find it especially on uh, two-way radios. But the cell phone business sold off, and uh, I think... I think Google owns the Motorola brand now, and you'll still see a Motorola phone branded out there in the marketplace. Okay, all right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I had one, you know, way back, early, early days of of cell phones. Uh, You know, back the big brick, I remember that one especially. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the company that invented them, and uh, hard to believe that all these years later, they're not even in that business anymore. Right, yeah, for sure. Public relations, um, you know, the public's so fickle. I, I'm proud of you just for being able to stay in that realm for this many years. What's the secret to good public relations? Let's just start there. Well, public relations as a craft has a number of different aspects to it. But I've always divided them into two big categories. There's the promotion side of PR. Um, And that really is about building relationships with an audience, crafting messages, and then using amplifiers, social media, traditional media, to uh, communicate that message to a particular audience. On On the other side of it, though, is protection. And the protection side of PR is really around the craft of crisis communication. And for whatever reason, it just turned out in my career, I've spent more than 30 years in the latter camp doing crisis communications work and now in my own agency for the last 15 plus years um, for quite a few varied clients uh, from nursing homes all the way to funeral homes believe it or not and 
all kinds of brands in between. Food and energy, those are the two big brand categories that we work with. But um, I have found myself in all kinds of uh, fascinating and very challenging crisis uh, situations with clients. And that's how I came to uh, step back and ask myself, what are, the, what are the components of this craft? Is it a dark art that no one else can ever know? Do I need a Harry Potter wand? Why, why is it that I do these things? And, and what are the decisions I find myself making from a pattern standpoint? That's where really the germ of uh, Breaking Bad News was started. So, I mean, I think all of us think so, but were you in more crisis management mode during, especially the shutdowns part of COVID, or was it pretty much just another day of work? It was another day of work. You know, the when the pandemic hit March 2020, um, clients were understandably in a pretty difficult situation. And so we had a very busy March and April, but then all of us were in shutdown mode and things got very quiet really quickly. And eyes turned to the process of trying to stay well. And so be remote, stay well, uh, keep busy. And that really occupied the brands that we work with most. So when you talk about breaking bad news, I'm assuming you mean as a company when you have to tell your customer bad news, is that kind of the angle you're going from? It sure is one of those moments. Uh, because of our specialization in the food in industry and the energy industry, bad news breaks in a couple, in a number of different ways. Let's just say the food industry, one of the easiest things for people to know and they'll understand is um, food recalls. Recalls happen quite often uh, because, you know, things in the processing system or even in the production system go wrong. That can mean uh, contaminations or uh, it could mean faulty manufacturing processes. All kinds of things can go bad in that particular chain of activity. And of course, the end consumer, uh, the public, is the audience for understanding the food recalls. We rely to a great extent on our grocers to be the conveyor or the amplifier of that message. That's just one example of how bad news can break. And we've seen it with significant food brands. Uh, Chipotle, for example, Bluebell Ice Cream. These are a couple of famous uh, examples uh, over the years. And you might, Steve, even remember the phrase pink slime. Pink slime was, uh, <laughs> dating myself a little bit, but it was a crisis for Meatpacker up in the Midwest. Uh, it was a, an attack by ABC News. And, oh, hey, um, uh, ABC News was sued for libel over that, that use of that phrase and the amplification of that case, and ABC lost. The meatpacking plant won that case. So you just never know what kind of uh, attack a brand might uh, come under, whether it comes from within, self-imposed because of incompetency, or from without, something unexpected, unseen. Pink slime is one of those unexpected, unseen things. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, in the current climate, especially the two industries you specialize in, there's been a lot of you know, miscommunication. That's me saying it as nice as I can. <laughs> um, trying to try to go into your world, um, you know, in food and in energy, um, you know, because crisis management, <laughs> although it does make me think of, you probably watched this movie, just even from the title, if you didn't see the whole movie, it was the movie, Our Brand is Crisis. Did you guys see that? That, uh, movie I haven't seen movie. that. What? I gotta. I've gotta watch oh, that. You've gotta look that up. It's a few years old now. Um, it's uh, Sandra Bullock, um, and she's a, a political consultant. Oh. <laughs> um, in like South, you know, a South American country or Central American country, something like that. You should watch that if you get time. Even maybe that'll be your uh, your Thanksgiving movie to watch. Is what a fine idea. Well, you know, you make a good point with that example. There's. Um... There was a television show, 
Kerry Washington was the star, but she was a political fixer, right? Uh, things would go wrong and she would fix it. Somehow or another wire behind the scenes. Well, that's the kind of thing that a brand will look at and say, oh, well, if something ever happens, we'll just get a fixer. Okay, now tell me who that's going to be. Well, just go ahead and um, get Oprah. You know, if you can just get Oprah, then we'll get we'll sit down and get get the message that we have. We'll get it out. Like who who are you that you think I can call Oprah? I mean, it's just not real. And people live in these delusional mindsets of fixer and just make a phone call and make it go away. That's a really interesting challenge for us and our craft as we try to help brands get prepared for crisis situations. And, you know, clients often just don't want to hear it. Uh, they settled into this mindset or this bias that um, allows them to ignore not just possible, but probable crisis situations associated with their brand. And for us, because uh, our clients are heavy food or energy, well, those can range from anything from recalls to, um, pipeline explosions or, or house explosions uh, when it comes to natural gas. So, gosh, I mean, really? You're going to simply say, well, that'll never happen to us? It's a pretty big risk in my book. And um, I know, I know it's not exciting to wake up and say, I can't wait to go buy insurance today. But, <laughs> but um, that's kind of what you're buying when you by a crisis communications person's time in order to exercise, to simulate, to do tabletops, uh, to, to put your spokespeople up in front of cameras and practice. Yeah, it's a good idea. Nobody wants to do it, believe me, but it's a good idea. Well, and you mentioned, you know, just get Oprah on the phone, you know, because everybody has her private number, right? Um, but what if it happens to be like happened to one of the meat companies, if Oprah is the one who said the thing that you're now managing through, right? Oh, right. You know, and that happened to the beef industry years and years ago. The, um, now the question is, what is your platform? How do you combat a celebrity influencer like an Oprah? Um, do you do that with science? If everybody just knew the facts? Let's educate the public. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. You're dealing in the realm of emotion. And so you've got to fight that fire with fire and create compelling enough spokespeople who can deliver a satisfying and um, settling message to the public. Uh, look, what Oprah's expressing is personal opinion. And that's okay, perfectly fine but it needs to be characterized that way. Absolutely. What the you meat know, industry did wrong in that case was they were trying to um, respond with facts. Here's the science. Boring, nobody cared. Instead, the characterization should have been that is a personal opinion not supported by any measure of known science. And in my mind, the that one was lost because they assumed or they allowed Oprah to have that platform. Now she's super compelling. I'm a big fan. Um, and she's terribly and authentic and believable to me. So the idea that you could simply roll out some uh, boring scientists, all 130 years old each to try to, respond to that. It's just, that's one of the things that I talk about in the message section of Breaking Bad News. In messaging, you have 16 options. Brands forget they have options. And so um, my job, I've always thought, is to present my clients with options versus answers and helping them see the pros and cons of each choice. I was thinking even as you were talking um, you know, because you do have the niche markets you work with, but this really is something that everybody should be reading and understanding how to deal with because taking something that everybody's dealt with in the last couple of years, um, year and a half is uh, their particular viewpoint on COVID 
and most everyone you just said it most everybody is arguing uh you know facts and figures or their you know their science or or whatever you know what i mean rather than all the things you're just talking about oh for sure and that's one of the things that we overlook it's um there's this this 3m component of my crisis model message messenger and method of delivery and all three of those have to be very carefully selected in order to be effective in a world where facts and figures are often set aside. That's one of the biggest challenges I think we have in this modern day media uh, environment that we live in is that facts and figures are nice, but they quickly get swept away by political orientation or the polarity of the political environment. And so uh, you're not gonna win if all you try to do is get on and present facts and figures because in my, experience the truth is a negotiated reality mm. there's probably a few people that don't like that you just said that but it is so true <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah i mean uh people often try to say we just need the truth uh, the fact of the matter is we all see the same thing in a different way and we all have our own way of seeing true what is true and that is a uniquely human characteristic, and it's confounding and wonderful all at the same time. So before somebody finds themselves in a crisis, <laughs> number one, they need to get your book. But um, uh, if somebody needs help learning how to be able to get that set up so they're ready for a crisis, um, how would they work with you? Yeah, the, the question really orients around the first step, which is a, an awareness that we need a rapid response team because we have risk. So if you've gone through as a brand and, and discovered that not only is it possible that our reputation would be at risk, but probable, and there's severity and exposure that comes with that, you're ready for the conversation. When I'm engaged by clients, often the first and most important step in the model and for them is simply to designate members of a rapid response team and give them their assignments. Over the years, I've spent hundreds of hours with clients who wanted to try to fill up a three ring binder with what they called their crisis response plan. It was a terrible use of time. What they really need to do is have a business card size, a wallet card size piece of paper for the members of the rapid response team so that they know how to convene, how to assemble. That's the, that's the hardest part. Believe it or not, in the brands I've worked with, just like, where is X decision maker? Where is Y person, subject matter expert? Well, we don't know. We didn't know that they were supposed to be here. And boy, it the the clock is ticking and you've got to have the decision makers in the room that can navigate through what needs to happen. And so when I talk in, to clients in that first phase, it's almost always about assembling a rapid response team and teaching members of that team their specific roles. I'll give you a good example. Lawyers are often part of rapid response teams. Lawyers are often the worst members of the rapid response teams because they won't stay in their lane. They begin to craft messages. Well, no, that's the, that's the job of the communications people around the table. Then lawyers want to weigh in on all kinds of business decisions. No, that's the job of other subject matter experts. And what we need attorneys for and what they're really terrific, uh, they're, they're so important for us, is to assess risk and liability, to help us weigh pros and cons of different choices. So um, just knowing, hey, attorney, that's why we need you here at the table and that's the role that you need to play. You don't need to be going around litigating uh, with against all the other members of your rapid response team. Uh, <laughs> while we're trying to put a message out. Um, 
that's the kind of training that happens when I first encounter a client, helping the members of the team understand their roles, their responsibilities, and then giving them some practice. And you predominantly work with food industry and energy industry people. Um, what is your website and how can people go if they want to work with your company? My author website is breakingbadnewsbook.com. So you can find the book there. And uh, we even have a place for you to sign up so I can send you one. I'll be happy to send a signed copy to you if you're interested. Um, but my business website is hanpublic.com. That's where you'll find a bunch of case studies on how we've helped clients. I have a sister company that I run as well that is our food business. It's called Apron. And so Apron PR is the place to look for our food business. Both of those will get you to me, uh, or all three of those will get you to me one way or the other. I love that. And I did put in the comments the uh, link for the book. It's, it's also in the description, but if you missed it, it's there in the comments for you now, too. Um, you really do want to get, you can get Breaking Bad News 12 Essential Crisis Communication Tools for free on Amazon today if you follow that link. Jeff, uh, there's so much. We could go on for hours and we'd, you know, we wouldn't even be scratching the surface, but I do appreciate you uh, working through technical difficulties here with us today and being with us um, as we have been talking about this very important subject today. Well, it's been my pleasure, Steve. Thanks for taking time. And um, I hope that Breaking Bad News is a really good tool for members of the audience here. I certainly, it took me seven years to write it. And so I'm proud of it, and I believe it can really be helpful for those brands who feel like they need to think hard about how they confront or at least prepare for a crisis situation in the future. And Veronica is saying that she wants a signed copy. So you said it's Breaking Bad News Book.com. Yeah. Sometimes I have to put the HTTPS colon slash slash in front. I'll do that just in case. All right. So there's that link for you as well. Veronica, if you want to get the book uh, a signed copy, and uh, we're going to look forward to your book being a bestseller today. I'm excited about that. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Steve. I really appreciate your help, and I've enjoyed talking to you. That is such good stuff. I mean, what do you do when the bad stuff, when you have bad news that you need to break to the world, to family, to um, others that you need to deal with? How do you break that bad news in a way that allows you to hold your integrity, be the person you want to be in this world, and still, you know, really actually deal with the bad stuff rather than just ignore it and hope it goes away, which it never does and it just gets worse, right? Um, I hope you got some really, really great ideas out of that interview. Um, it was a lot of fun to do. We are going to take another quick commercial break, and then we will be back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity, and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far, and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feeling go to yourbestsellertoday.com schedule a talk with steve it's risk-free it's guaranteed it's proven we've done it thousands of times what are you waiting for yes yourbestsellertoday.com this time next week you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve reach the people that you came to serve come on now what are you waiting for grab a pen here we go all you got to do is book a call yourbestsellertoday.com go to yourbestsellertoday.com Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. You
Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk about how to deal with the bad stuff. How do we deal with our own bad stuff in our own life? How do we deal with things that others have done to us? Um, And we talked a little bit more from the corporate standpoint. Now I want to move it more close to home, to the personal standpoint, and how you can overcome and succeed and deal and really be the person you want to be in spite of the things that have happened in your life. And I'm so excited to be joined by this next international best-selling author to share that with you. Join me in welcoming Michelle Renee Hammer. Hey, Michelle, how are you doing today? Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege and an honor. (laughs) Thanks for being here with us. So your book is called Boundaries for Breakthroughs, Live as God Designed, Eight Essential Keys to Emotional Well-Being. Wow, that's that's really big. So tell us first a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Okay. I know that book's a mouthful, right? I just couldn't decide. Um, For me, I'm a counselor. I'm a pastoral counselor and a licensed clinician. And I've been doing counseling now for about 25 years. Um, But a lot of early on personal tragedy in my life just took me in that direction, I believe, by God's design. And uh, I learned through my own adversity and the adversity of thousands of other people that I've counseled and now coach certain themes that I noticed that not only lined up with what I learned clinically in in college and my master's program and other additional training I took, but biblically. And so that's sort of how I show up in the world. I combine that stuff and that's the message I'm shouting from the mountaintops because I want to help people get unstuck and out of all the things that just weigh them down and cause them not to just live up to their purpose and everything I believe that they were called and designed to be. So that's kind of a tall order. You are really bold, and I I really applaud you for it, in this book, right from the very even first (laughs) sentence of the introduction, you jump into some, you know, some things some people don't ever even talk about. So um, I, I admire you for that. That was pretty awesome. Thank you. I, yeah, I know. I go we're straight into, you know, preteen assault and, and sort of how I felt at the time and, and, and in the mind of a preteen, because I do work with a lot of uh, ladies uh, that are teenagers and young adults and men too. And you're right. We keep secrets for a long time and those secrets eat us alive. And if this wasn't by God's design, I could still be sitting in a counseling room just listening to people and my secrets would be with me and him. Um, and select few individuals, but he really kept putting it on my heart to just speak out and speak up for people that aren't speaking up for themselves. And so not only did he give me a voice, but he's, I believe he's calling me to help other people find their voice too, because a lot of the things that people are ashamed of are not even things that they've done. They're things that have been done to them and they're carrying someone else's shame. So in the book, um, I mean, you take it all the way from that tragedy. You talk about dating, relationships, marriage. Um, you know, you really go deep with people. Um, what is, uh, you know, what is the thing that started the process of healing for you from that tragedy? So first I had a complete unraveling, you know, and then when I was at the bottom, at the very bottom in depression with literally psychotic features, I started praying to God. It's not like I didn't believe in God. It's not like I didn't you know, have an upbringing where I was raised in you know, a particular faith tradition. But what went on in my home and what went on in my school were like dichotomies. And so what really started my healing journey, I believe, was God. But it really was me asking for help. I actually knew I needed help and I started asking for help. And I didn't get the right helps initially. And I got a lot of poor help, too which is one of the another reasons why I became a counselor. Um, but it was my first step was just to admit that I, I needed help and, and to get other people involved. And then just by God's grace and design, I started to get some really good um, supports and a lot more knowledge of his word. And just those two things together, it just started becoming like my life calling. There's a real stigma and I'm not sure why now, I mean, 
I maybe understand it from back when everybody felt that way, but there still seems to be a real stigma to asking for help and going into therapy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Why is that? I know it's so true. And I, I notice everybody wants a coach, but nobody wants a counselor. <laughs> and, and everybody thinks it's cool if they have a coach, you know, they can talk about that. But counseling is sort of a lot of people still keep hush hush. I think it's misinformation that counseling is for crazy people. You know, and counseling is counseling means there's something wrong with me. And I tell people all the time, counseling is for everyone who's stuck in anything that they just can't seem to get a handle on. And counseling is for people who have something happening to them. It's not that there's something wrong with them. For example, depression happens to you. Anxiety happens to you. You know, trauma happens to you. You know, we don't pick our poison, so to speak, whether it's diabetes or heart disease or anxiety or schizophrenia. This stuff happens to us, but then we own it like it's who we are. And I think that's really hard for people to separate, you know, who they are from what they're thinking and feeling because so much of our personality is wrapped up in that. It's easy to do that when someone has a physical problem. We can physically see a problem or we physically have a, something going on that sort of feels like, oh, that's happening to my body. But I don't think people think in terms of when a me mental health and emotional stuff's occurring that it's happening to their mind or their heart. They look at it like this is who I am and no one would understand and I need to hide these things because they're shameful. And they're really not. I think it's a badge of honor when people struggle struggle and have adversity and, and, and work to overcome it. I think that's super admirable. I know, and I was even talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday. It's ironic. Um, a lot of times, one of the fears that people have is a quote unquote diagnosis. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I'm going to be diagnosed as, right. <laughs> you know, and there's some buzz terms now, you know, it seems like, you know, it's kind of cyclical, like this is the popular diagnosis right now kind of a thing. But um, what do you say to the people that are afraid of their quote unquote diagnosis? Yeah, I think it opens up a can of worms for them probably, right? It's just a term we use. You know, it's just a way to kind of speak in clinical language that this is what's happening to someone, to an insurance company or to another provider who's involved. It's just sort of a way to wrap your mind around a group of symptoms that are happening. For me, when I found out that I was depressed, that was a relief because I finally knew what was happening. I didn't know what was happening. I just knew that I was happy-go-lucky one day, a tragedy happened to me, and now I was, I was like, you know, withering away in myself and I blamed myself for it. So I think you know, if we can just be honest and start sharing with somebody we trust at the other side of that, there's a lot of freedom and healing and people stay bound up in the fear. Like you're saying the different fears, the fear of a diagnosis, the fear of being judged, the fear of, you know, what, what's, what they're going to have to go through to get to the other side. But I've been in the pit and been afraid to share. And I've gone through the, <laughs> the hard part of healing and I'd rather be there. I've done both. I think the pit is so much harder because it feels like you're alone and you're caught up in something. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, and this may be uh, me both understanding psychology enough with having two parents that both have degrees in that. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. But can you explain to people the difference between, you know, having a physiological situation, like you mentioned, schizophrenia or mm -hmm. bipolar, you know, people that are really, truly bipolar mm -hmm. versus somebody who you said, you know, you were happy-go-lucky and then you were really massively depressed. And, yes. and there may have even been therapists that were like, oh, well, she's bipolar, you know, right, right, <laughs> right, right. Yes. you have a situational thing you're going through. Yes. Can you kind of explain the difference for us? Sure. That's a great question. So physiological things that occur are biologically wired in your body from the time that you're born. They're more of a chemical thing, a chemical neurological imbalance, but you can still have symptoms of many of those things, right? People can seem bipolar and just have gone through trauma or they can have depression that, as you said, Steve, is situational. And that's because they're grieving and they're hurting and the symptoms look the same. And that's why I feel oftentimes you need professional a support because we don't often know which one it is. You know, I've had people come in and had depression their whole life. And when we've dialed it back and peeled the layers of the onion, you know, they do have a chemical imbalance. They're, they're saying, I just always felt sad. 
nothing was wrong and my life was really good and I never got why I wasn't happy. And then there's other people who know that they know that they know this isn't how I normally feel. You know, so what's going on with me? And that's that takes the sorting out of looking at your circumstances and your history and determining. And I really wish that for depression and anxiety and all those sorts of things that we had, um, you know, we had the ability to look at them like you do with like an X-ray machine or an MRI or whatever they call the different CAT scans. And, and they are doing a lot of stuff with the brain and they're seeing people in states of depression and in, you know, panic attack you know, as it's happening and in a, a bipolar manic episode and noticing the brain does change, but we just don't have that capacity like we do with our body to just notice that stuff. So I also tell people, take your time. You know, people can't just meet you one time and say, oh, you're bipolar. No, it doesn't work like that. I'd be leery of any doctor or counselor or physician that just carte blanche, you know, assume something after meeting you for 10 minutes because it's more complicated than that. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So the book is Boundaries for Breakthroughs. How do you or why do you need boundaries in order to make it through your breakthrough? So I know. And that's sort of uh, someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, they don't really go together. Like if I think boundaries, I think wall. And if I think breakthrough, you're like pushing down the wall. And, and that was important for me because it's just the type of boundaries you need to get thrust forward. You know, so sometimes our boundaries in life need to be more emotional, emotional or in our own thinking or with other people. So we have traps that we're caught up in and we have to set limits in those areas to, to get to the, where we're trying to get to, which is a healthier place. And so I noticed there's just eight different areas of life where that happens and that if people would start to set limits there, they could take care of themselves better, especially people who have hurt and pain and trauma and different emotional and mental health things going on. Because it really does oftentimes, as I said earlier, knock our self-worth, you know, where they say like 80% of people at some point in their life struggle with, are they worthy? And usually it's after they're going through something difficult. It's hard not to personalize our stuff. You know, it's sort of like we make ourselves our own mini God, you know, and we're supposed to make things go well. And really God is God. If something's happening, hey, it's not catching him by surprise what's going on there. I believe oftentimes the hardships get, get us to our healing if we allow it. Mm, wow. So, and, and I think it's important to note, you've told me this before, um, in this particular case, you're talking about emotional boundaries, which yeah. isn't necessarily what people talk about usually. Right. Exactly. Usually people are talking about physical boundaries or, you know, like specific situational boundaries, like boundaries in dating, boundaries in marriage, you know, boundaries at work. I'm talking, you know, feelings boundaries. We can't let our emotions and mind run amok. You know, and a lot of times when we're wounded, that's what's happening. And so the coping mechanisms and the resources and even God's word has a lot to say about, you know, the situation of our heart and what we do about our thinking. And so if we can set those limits, I see a lot of people getting well. And it's interesting, Steve, that a lot of people who come to me who are Christians or who you know have a faith tradition and are willing to incorporate their faith into their healing process do a lot better than people who aren't, um, who are just trying to re rely on the next strategy or the next pill or the next you know current fad of, oh, this will make you feel less depressed. Um, usually it's deeper than that. So totally unfair question um, <laughs> of the eight essential keys uh, today, at least right this minute, um, which is your favorite kid? No, not really. <laughs> what is your favorite of the eight emotional keys um, you know, that you can bring up to us? I think community, community. So one of the keys is, is to have community, a trustworthy place where you can like land your head and talk about, um, Talk about things that bother you, things that, you know, you're struggling in and, and just more than uh, counseling or coaching appointment once a week or whatever is to have a place where you feel safe so that you can, you know, really walk alongside other people. That's what Jesus did. You know, he didn't he didn't live alone. He's God. He could have done it all by himself. He didn't need, you know, 12 close disciples and a bunch more, you know, people following him around. And um, he, he you know, he's God and he's triune. And so if God is triune and when Jesus was on this earth, he walked with other people, then oftentimes I see people struggling because they're hiding in their secrecy and their shame and they're going it alone. So they need community. 
So, and we all have our great excuses, right? Right. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, so we went through COVID and yeah, we discovered exactly. the joy of working from home, which yeah. some people don't, but you know, I mean, a lot of us, and then you throw in things like, uh, oh, you know, the mother of a newborn or, right, you know, right, right, things right, right, like right, right. that where, you know, how do you have community when you don't have any time in your life or it feels that way anyway? How, how do you do that? I know. And I think, you know, that that's one good thing the book talks about is, you know, what community looks like and where we can find community and how we determine safe community. And I think it's basically finding like-minded persons. So for the woman at home with the newborn, perhaps it's, you know, right outside her door in her neighborhood um, or a mops group at her church or some, a best friend, somebody that she can just start with sharing if it's not, you know, a professional. Because oftentimes in professional, um, in the professional situations that I'm in, we are talking about where's your support system, where's your community and the boundaries in community, right? Because we don't want to just tell everybody everything. You've seen that person in the grocery store who's just sharing with anyone she can find. It's like, oh boy, that's too much for now. And I don't even know you, but then you see other people that won't talk to anybody. I think there's a balance in the middle where we find that fellowship of like-minded individuals who we can walk through life with, whether it's a small group or we start our own, like, I don't know, monthly friends night and just with people you trust. I know that's hard to find too sometimes. The other side to that um, is, you know, and I think back about what we were talking about earlier about, you know, when you were a young girl and going yeah. through trauma. Yes. Kids or other people who live in that situation and aren't, maybe even aren't even able to, you know, like kids mm -hmm. to get out of that. How do they... Uh, begin to create emotional boundaries in their life in that type of situation. So good. That's so powerful. So, you know, you have kids who are in unhealthy family environments and oftentimes want it to be different and know that it's not right, just in their gut and finding, um, and then they have, excuse me, then they might have families that don't believe in counseling you know, don't want the secrets disclosed or don't want professionals involved. And so if that, that child, that kid or that preteen, you know, reaches out to anybody, oftentimes it starts, you know, that process like a school counselor or um, another friend that they trust. It's really hard for them though, because when they start building in healthy supports, they have to go home every day to an unhealthy environment. I can recall in, in my own personal life in high school, I was talking with a school counselor about what was going on in my home. And she said, put your headphones on and get in another room. Like, you don't want to hear the conflict. You don't need to, you know, be all wrapped up in it. Cause I'm like at my ear at the door, you know, like what's happening now. Cause you never knew what would happen next. <laughs> and she's saying that's so unhealthy, but that's how I felt. You know, that's how I survived. If I knew it was coming, I knew it was coming. And she said, that's so unhealthy. You just need to let that be and do you, you're a teenager. Now you have you work, you, you play sports, you have school, just ignore it. Just get yourself out of that mess. And that was huge for me. And at the time I thought, how rude, like my family matters. But she was basically saying, you know, set a boundary, you know, don't, don't allow yourself to go do something that causes you to be upset because you feel the need to know you're going to know anyway, because, you know, it's, it's a crap show over there. Um, and so that'd be like one example is just having somebody speak into their life and start you know, modeling for them healthy boundaries and building them up and, and, and seeing where their strengths are and encouraging them in that to get involved in areas that, you know, would bring them value when that's not happening at home. And if it's a scary environment or abusive environment, that's a whole nother story, you know, that's even more challenging and more difficult. Yeah, for sure. So for a person who wants or knows now they need help from you, how can they go deeper with you? other than, of course, getting the book. Oh, okay. So um, they could always reach out to our, uh, you know, um, counseling center. It's Turning Leaf Counseling and Consultation. And it would be www.turningleafcounselingandconsultation.com. We have admin staff there, and there's eight therapists there right now um, who do coaching and counseling and would be more than willing to help somebody in need if they were thinking, okay, I want to take the first step. We have Christian counselors. Um, and we also have secular counselors, interestingly enough. So some people don't want to talk to a Christian pastoral counselor. Um, and so they want to talk to somebody who doesn't have any specifics in that way. And so we have those two. 
The book is called Boundaries for Breakthrough. Live as God Designed, Eight Essential Keys to Emotional Well-Being by Michelle Renee Hammer. Um, such a great book. Oh, gosh, you guys, you got to get it. Michelle, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate you. Have a good one. I am so grateful for this book. Um, I think that really honestly, and you may have even caught a little bit of it um, there during the interview, I think honestly I could have probably just gone into my own therapy session for, you know, as long as Michelle would have allowed me to go on. Um, Really good stuff. I think a lot of times we create boundaries in all of the peripheral kind of things, but when it comes to really guarding our hearts and our minds and our emotions, Um, You know, there isn't a lot of help in even knowing what good boundaries are in there, let alone in creating them. Um, I think a lot of times, and I don't know, maybe I'm just talking about myself, but I, I bet others are feeling this too. A lot of times we don't feel like we have the right to feel the things that we're feeling. That we feel like what we're feeling is just not quite on, you know, it's it's off in some kind of way. It's not permissible. And some of that comes from our upbringing. Most of it is just things that we've caught, you know, more is caught than taught over the course of our life. And, and we've accepted them. And when we take the time to challenge, why am I thinking and feeling this way? And how can I be better and do better so that I can show up better in the world. I can really make the difference that only I can make if I really truly be the best me. Um, And again, as I said earlier, even today, uh, you know, being the best version of yourself while it's called today. Yesterday's gone. You can't do anything about it other than forgive yourself and others and move forward towards tomorrow. Uh, But tomorrow is that thing that may be. Imagine if we spent all day today worried about tomorrow that never came or the thing that we think is going to happen tomorrow that never happens. We can be so much more powerful in the world when we just purely and simply maximize our today in the best way we possibly can make use of today, whether it's a day of rest or a day of hard work, to be the best you that you can be while it's called today. Because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose, and the world does need you. I need you to understand that all of us have bad stuff that happens in our life. Um, You're not alone in that. Um, And all of us want for only good things to happen, not only in our own life, but for you too. We want to help you succeed amazingly above and beyond all that you can ask or even think. And even though we don't have the power to grant that to you, that is our wish and our prayer for you. And we're here to help you be able to really truly thrive, to live every day of your life as a thriving entrepreneur. I hope until we're together again next time that you're happy, safe, warm, and loved, that you are thriving in all you do in this world, and that until we're together again, you have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. who's on a mission stand out with your brand out (laughs) check this out guys yep everything's marketing and marketing is everything your existing book can become a best-selling book or even hey like mine a number one international best-selling book in five days listen if your business isn't known by everybody it's obscurity and that's death right the same thing is true for your book if you're not happy with the way your book is performing you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling go to yourbestsellertoday.com schedule a talk with Steve
believe. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. You